This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, welcome to the latest episode of Brewers Unfiltered. I'm Brad Ford, social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee, once again, joined by Adam McAlvey and Tim Dillard. Guys, it's good to be home, right? Yeah, it's good to be home. Tim was in Miami. I wasn't there. I missed it. I jump on the trip and you jumped off the trip. Unbelievable. (laughs) Two cities. I'm exhausted. I can't possibly go to a third. I was there for three days. I loved it. I was like, and Benito, I'm Miami. It was good. Well, I, I, I saw you posted a photo with, uh, I think I've mentioned this on the pod, the only player, and I always say this, so far, who's threatened to light me on fire. Who? Levon Hernandez. Oh. That's a fun fact. I thought you were talking about me. I'm like, I don't think I tweet about fire that much, honestly. Levon? (laughs) Yeah, Levon came to the Brewers. I think they were in in Cincinnati, which is what reminded me of it, because we were just in Cincinnati. And and, um, (laughs) I just introduced myself to him and he said uh nice to meet you uh, don't screw me or i'll set you on fire <laughs> and he said it with a smile <laughs> hey well, you know at least he gives you the heads up though he could have surprised <laughs> yeah. you you, you could have wrote in a levon hit piece and he comes in and then he has it was all in good the lighter fun. fluid and the lighter <laughs> yeah yeah that's when i would have known i was in trouble he was fun i mean man that guy's uh He's a legend. He is a legend. I, I had to introduce myself because we were teammates 10 years ago for like 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, we used to be teammates. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many people come up to him and say that? Probably like thousands. 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 He's been teammates <laughs> with everybody. It was pretty cool, yeah. though. But I got a picture with him in front of his picture on the wall uh, holding the hot dog that was named after him, which he didn't know existed. But now he does. So, yeah, it was a good it was a good trip. I just feel like now anyone should walk up to Levon Hernandez and be like, <laughs> I was your teammate. And he'll just be like, yeah, definitely. I remember yeah. that. Like, it's like 80 year old men walking to him up on the street. Just <laughs> he was like, good. Remember? He was like, good to see you, Jim. I was like, yeah, you what? <laughs> is there someone standing behind me? We did a story once of like the, the guys, uh, we all 30 of us MLB.comers did a story about the players you may have forgotten played for, for X team. And it was really fun. And I can't remember if I put Levon Hernandez on there, but if I didn't, I, I definitely should have. Well, you know, it's like for the Brewers, it's like Dave Parker, Devon White, Aaron Hill, Felipe Alou is a really good one for me. You know, kind of like known players who had a little cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> Tim Dillard. <laughs> come on. You were only in the organization for 100 years. Well, that's true. No, Levon, Levon was in. Uh, we were in Houston when Grinky got tossed in 2012. You remember that? Yeah, he started three straight games. He got tossed in like the second hitter and like spiked the ball. Yes. And um, so I was the only guy in the bullpen. They called down to the bullpen. They were like, hey, who's down there? They're like, it's Dillard. And they're like, anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> and the other story was uh, Levon was just at his locker. He was just sitting there, not even dressed, puts his pants on, puts his jersey on, puts his spikes on, grabs his glove, walks out of the clubhouse, walks straight up the steps and put himself in the game. Didn't talk to anybody. What? Grinky got tossed. He spiked the ball on that play. I think it was Altuve. And uh, I think Renicky got tossed. And so he basically just walked out there and put himself in the game. Really? I'd never heard that angle of that story. I got to get confirmation, but I heard stories because, I mean, I was the only one in the bullpen. There was a couple guys that were in the dugout, a couple guys that were still in the clubhouse. And they were like, dude, he just put his stuff on and walked straight out there. And the guys in the dugout were like, he didn't talk to anybody. He just walked out of the field. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he looked at Jerry Naren and said, I'm going in the game or I'll set you on fire. Maybe so. Man, I was like, who's left? (laughs) All I know is we're, no matter what, we're not putting Dillard in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then Grinky started three straight games. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he got tossed. True veteran leader. Then he started the next day. 
Then there was the All-Star break. Then he started the first game out of the All-Star break. And I remember Mike Vassallo yep. finding all those stats about how rare that was. That's incredible. And then he was traded to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. True. Maybe not immediately after, but shortly thereafter. Fun facts. I love wow. it. What were we talking about today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the 2012 Brewers podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> talking about fun pitching facts. Uh, last night, Freddie, 500 Ks, an absolute dominance, followed up by maybe the best Devin Williams and Josh Hader innings we've seen all year. Guys, it was a 1-0 game, but Tim, how enjoyable is it to watch a pitcher duel like that, especially when our team is the one just on another level? Yeah, and the Braves did good too. Honestly, I mean, Ian Anderson was on top of his game as well. It was it was a fun game to watch because it wasn't just like guys were just getting themselves out. You know, the hitters weren't just walking up there throwing at bats away. They were trying to work counts, and Freddie was just, he was fantastic. He retired the first batter of every inning, all seven innings, and that's something we just haven't seen from him a lot this year, or at least consistently. Um, and it was pretty amazing. His 500th career strikeout came on Ozuna to start off the seventh. And I highlight that at bat because he used curveball, fastball, changeup, and then finished him off with a slider. I just found that fantastic when you're sitting there in the seventh inning and you mix up your pitches like that. Still, guys are guessing on what you're going to do. Uh, Freddie was elite last night. Well, yeah, he's he's fastball Freddie or Freddie fastball, but we've learned that he's great when he's four pitch Freddie, and and that's been the difference. His last five starts, the ERA is like one and a half, and the difference is the slider in particular has been just in the zone and around the zone where before his off speed misses were wide enough that the hitter didn't have to respect those pitches and they could sit on the fastball. And even though it's a great pitch. Freddie was getting into trouble with the fastball in, in hitters counts. So he's a different animal when he can throw those off-speed pitches. And that's been, you know, that's no surprise. That's the story of his last couple of seasons. And I think when we talk about him being a different animal, when he can throw those off-speed pitches, you look at how many of those strikeouts were on fastballs and just how much more dominant the fastball looked because of those pitches. Because he was really you know, putting hitters down and putting them in bad situations with his heater because his slider was working, because his changeup was working. It looked that much more uh, aggressive and unhittable when those things are going. Yeah, eight of his 10 strikeouts were on fastball, but it, that if you just look at that, that doesn't tell the entire story. His off-speed stuff was, was king, and it led to all those strikeouts. But uh, I talked to Carlos Villanueva, who had several conversations with him, in uh, Miami, just kind of talking about, you know, how to use your stuff, when to use your stuff. And then he texted me last night and he said that rhythm, sequence and execution is what he saw that maybe that wasn't seen, you know, early on in Freddie's season. But last night he was cool and calm. He wasn't herky jerky and trying to rush through everything. Um, he, he looked good. He looked good. Well, I'm glad you, I'm so glad you mentioned Via, too, because he's like the Freddie Peralta whisperer. I mean, obviously the Brewers have a lot of good pitching coaches and all the people in the lab and all the analysts that are coming up with game planning and Walker McKinvin deserves a huge kudos and Omar Narvaez deserves big kudos. So like, it's clearly a team thing, but Carlos Villanueva has kind of been in the background on Freddie really the last couple of years when Freddie started honing that slider, which is again, the pitch that changed everything for him in terms of confidence, in terms of just having the tools to not just be variations of this four-seamer that he's got. Uh, and it was so much Carlos Villanueva. So credit to him. They did so much work down the Dominican a couple off-seasons ago, and it transformed Freddie Peralta into a, a dominant pitcher and, um, you know, who, by the way, is signed for however many more years. So a, an asset that the Brewers can kind of plan around uh, with the rest of their starters. Well, Via, Via and I were teammates uh, all coming up the minor leagues, and he was young and had all four pitches. Yeah. I barely had a fastball, and I'm looking at like, <laughs> dude, you're going out there and you're throwing a changeup, like a real changeup. Because everybody in A-ball, you know, hey, I throw a changeup. Doesn't mean it's good, right? Most of the time it's not. So he was getting people out, striking people out. I mean, that's all he could do was just get people out all the time. He knew how to pitch. He wasn't throwing. He's in a locker room full of guys that are just throwing the ball, and he was pitching, and he's 19 years old. So 
for for Villa to have a ten year career in the big leagues and then to circle back to the Brewers and to be you know mentoring someone that you know that's that's kind of how Villa threw uh, coming up. So just like Freddie, and I just think that's awesome how this this game kind of mirrors itself at times. Via would be great on the pod. We should pocket that for our future. I did. I asked him. <laughs> <laughs> People are probably so tired of us asking them. <laughs> I asked my Uber driver the other day. Yeah. She was. Yeah. I asked yeah. Uh, the person in the drive through like, hey, I'm on a podcast. Do you want to be on? And they're like, please leave, sir. You've been in the line for 30 minutes. <laughs> we did get someone good for next week. And I'm not going to say it because we haven't done it yet, obviously. But But yesterday we did. Right, Tim? Yeah. We, we pinned someone down that I think that people are going to enjoy. So there's a little tease. Stop, we won't stop say any giving more. me information that I can't share, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you, give, you give me all the secrets, and I'm like, I want to know less, man. <laughs> but it's a good one, yeah. We talk about Freddie. Freddie had an amazing game. But then I think it was the first time in Devin Williams' career that he struck out the side, but the strikeouts all came on the fastball. You know, we're seeing a transformation in Devin this year. Hunter Renfro, after the game last night, the first guy he talked about was Devin Williams. Because I think Renfro and some of the other players are looking at this stretch of the schedule as pretty challenging. There's some good teams coming up here, um, and they're going to need Devin Williams to be a big part of uh, their pitching mix. And he's had, we talked about it on the pod, I mean, he's had sort of ups and downs and not looked settled in at a lot of different stretches. But last night was really dominant, and... Craig Council said after the game, this is the this is baseball. You he's got this unicorn pitch, the changeup. Now everybody's seen it. They've all they all know that it's gonna be a it's, they all know it's coming, basically, and Devin Williams is gonna have to adjust back. And that means using the fastball and spotting the fastball in good places. And that's what he did last night. And to have the results he did, Hunter Renfro at least found that to be one of the most positive developments of the the victory on Monday. Well, I thought Narvaez, just seeing the way the game played out, he was calling a fantastic game. Devin gets out there. We all know he throws, you know, one of the best changeups in all of baseball, and the Braves know it too. And I think that's what they played off of. Okay, they're just waiting for a changeup. So if you look at two of the swings on the strikeouts, I mean, even Arcia, like they just, they were late. It looked like Omar was holding their bat while they were trying to swing a little bit <laughs> because they're in their mind. They were like that changeups there. It's in there somewhere. They, I'm waiting for it. I'm in that. Sometimes that's all you need. Your best pitch sometimes just needs to be in a hitter's brain. They don't necessarily have to see it, you know, as the last pitch they see of the bat, but it just needs to be in there, logged in there somewhere. And, and I, you could tell, you could tell with those swings, they were just waiting on a changeup, kept getting fastball. It was beautiful. Well, that's why Hader throws the changeup here and there, right? I mean, he, he's actually used the changeup to get strikeouts, Hader has. But I, sometimes I feel like that pitch and talking about it every year, I write my annual Josh Hader is working on his changeup story in spring training, <laughs> a rite of passage every spring. But part of it is I think he just wants it in the hitter's mind. Adam, actually, big question off of him working on the changeup. When are the Brewers going to try Josh Hader as a starter? <laughs> I miss those days, man. When are they going to when are they going to start Josh Hader and when are they going to call up Taylor Green? Yep. Yeah, um call at, up Taylor Green from now the scouting department. At Nate Orf. Oh, I miss Nate. Uh, reckon back to old teammates talking about Hader. He was throwing gas last night. Yeah. He, his first strikeout on 98 and his last two on 99 each. Hader's been we've talked about it I feel like every week. He's been historic this season. And for a guy who's already been historic. And then he comes out and he looks great a month and a half into the season in a way that we haven't seen. I'm, he was hitting that type of heat the last time I remember consistently opening day of last year. Yeah, against the Twins. Yep, he hit triple digits or just under triple digits by a couple decimal points. So, well, when you round up, when you start getting towards 100, you like to round up. Right. But yeah, all pitchers round up. I round up. If I throw 89, <laughs> I'm like, that looks like 94. <laughs> How many stories did you write last month, Adam? Well, I wrote a hundred. I mean, we'll round up. Uh, I'll I'll jump in on Hater because it. I was looking this up on Stackcast. There were nine pitches that Stackcast saw as ninety eight and above. So not ninety eight on the scoreboard because the scoreboard will round up. But legit ninety eight and up. He threw nine pitches last night, which is a really good sign because that's the most he's ever thrown in an outing in his career, including the postseason. And it, the the time he threw the most before last night was seven pitches, 98 and up. And it was in game 163 against the Cubs where like the adrenaline was as high as it can possibly be. That was a, 
a huge game for the Brewers, a huge game in franchise history. Jeremy Jeffress was unavailable. Hader covered the, the end of that game. So it was um, that that was as big big a, a moment as you have, and um, I, I thought that was very notable last night. He's this far into a year, you know. The, some this Tim can speak to this. To me, like second week of May, second half of May can be the time where the pitchers need to sort of like reset a little bit. The arm maybe drags a tiny bit. Just you're through spring training, you're into the season, um, but obviously that doesn't seem to be happening with Josh Hader. Well, he also had, you know, like a week off, um, probably like the week before last, just for whatever reason, you know, working through stuff. And, you know, sometimes you need that break. You come out of the gate, short spring training, and then suddenly you get a break. Like that's that sometimes can be a blessing in disguise. But I think it all goes back to having uh, Boxberger and Williams. It makes Josh Hader better. And the reason is because he doesn't have to throw multiple inning saves anymore. Um, if something's close... And he can't, if he's unavailable, they don't have to try to push him too hard. They can throw Devin out there. So that right there, having those two guys being around him, uh, to me, immediately makes him that much better because they can use him in the high leverage situations every single time they want for one inning. This is all you're going to get. You know, if you, if your pitch count gets high, we'll just take you out and put in another guy <laughs> like that. Having that freedom as a pitcher of going, this is your parameters run with it. Um, it's sometimes it's freeing for a pitcher to have that. Well, it's fun to talk about a recent victory, especially one that featured pitching, which I know we all love dearly. But the Brewers did just finish their first of three long road trips. They go four and five against Atlanta, Cincy, and Miami. Adam, do you have any takeaways from that long road trip? I mean, it seemed like the offense really died out towards the bottom half of it. Yeah, to, I, I, and that's kind of what comes to, to my mind is maybe a reminder of like how hard this game is because the two guys, the two hitters who struggled most on the road trip to me were Willie Adamas and Rowdy Telez, the two guys who were NL Player of the Week the two preceding weeks. Uh, so it it just kind of reminded you that um, this is not an, an easy game that these guys uh, play. So I have the numbers just because I do my research, not just like Tim Dillard, but but Willie, Willie Adamas, four for 32 on the trip, and Rowdy Telez, seven for 37. So, you know, they, they cooled from the, the, you know, crazy peaks that they were both at. So um, the other thing I think that stood out to me was like maybe a little more inside baseball. Those low leverage middle relievers are, are important because there were a couple of games on the trip where the Brewers were down and I know everybody wants them to pitch Got Boxberger, Williams, and Hader like every day because you never know when you're going to score some runs and it's a two-run deficit and you can score, hit a three-run homer and win the game. You cannot use those guys. Um, they use, uh, this is way inside baseball, but they use win probability to make decisions now and it's because you have a very low mathematical probability of winning those games. You have to have solid middle relief to cover those innings, to avoid overworking those other pitchers, and to keep games close so that when you do pop that three-run homer in the eighth inning, you can steal a win here and there. And the Brewers didn't get great middle relief at points during that road trip, and it, and it cost them a couple of wins. I mean, the the standout example is that insane game of the last day in Cincinnati where Yelich hit for the cycle. They scored six runs in the ninth inning and lost. It was the first time in franchise history that a Brewers player hit for the cycle and the Brewers lost the game. So that's an example where if you can get through that eighth inning without giving up six Reds runs, uh, you steal a victory there. Um, and, and I think that it, it highlights the importance of uh, those positions on the roster. Right. I thought it was interesting that, you know, watching a lot of fan perspective, there were a lot of comments about the offense on that road trip. The offense was gone, the offense, but you look and, they did put up a good amount of runs in competitive runs. It was just, I think you talk that those middle relief innings and guys who've been having good years happen to have bad outings kind of consecutively, right? It was like Hobie Milner has been fantastic this season and his one bad outing happened to come in a game where, it, you know, the both offenses show up. And part of it is because both offenses showed up. So it's one of those things where you look and it, I know it feels like the offense didn't hit, but it, they really did. And it was just coincidentally timed with some 
bad luck. You know, that's how baseball goes. Sometimes you get those stretches where guys who perform well just happen to it's it's like the baseball gods don't want you to get the win that day, right? They make sure like a guy who has a 1.2 ERA gives up three runs that day, even though you're going to score two in the next inning because they, you always got to stay just far enough away. And it's an arbitrary thing. It can't be measured. But it, it felt like one of those instances where it, it was more those hiccups, those bumps in the road that haven't happened so far this season just all came relatively at the same time. But meanwhile, like the team played pretty well offensively and still put up a, me- a pretty substantial amount of runs on the road trip, aside from, you know, going against people like Pablo Lopez, who had a one ERA coming into the game and the Brewers still won that game, uh, <laughs> which I saw fans freaking out about, like, you, know, you haven't scored any runs. And it's like, yeah, well, look at the guy who's on the other side. No one scored any runs against him. <laughs> it's kind of his thing. Uh but I, I think you look at those hiccups and it, it can kind of affect team performance because you see the L's pile up and you start to make assumptions based on your takeaways in the past. And I'm just trying to say from a fan perspective, try to put it all together and see what happened there and realize like the team still played pretty well. It was just a road trip where things didn't go their way in terms of uh, offense in fact, I would say the one thing that was difficult and most of the players from what I've seen in the locker room when you guys go to talk to them, Adam, is, you know, they weren't happy with their defense more than anything else. That's the one thing I think you can walk away from and say, like, that's something that needs to improve the next time around. Well, I think if you talk to any guy, you know, they, if you try to sum up a road trip, it's really hard because players will look at it from game to game and series to series and it kind of goes that way so if, if they're like trying to think back they won't even remember exactly where they were or who they played <laughs> a lot of times uh, but if you talk about this road trip they go four and five the one takeaway I had is they could have used Andrew McCutcheon I think if Andrew McCutcheon was in the lineup um, especially against Max Freed I feel like I feel like the game is I feel like the whole series is you know is is different you know, I, he's that kind of player. So to me, the one takeaway, short and sweet, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, not having him, uh, it, it hurt the Brewers a little bit. Right. And you look at their, they come into that road trip hot after a five and six homestand. They win the first game. What happens in game two? McCutcheon goes on the IL and that's where you, you have some of those problems. And so I think they could have used them in multiple ways, both as a constant energy guy, but just as that regular guy in the lineup who gets consistent production but his return is imminent as uh andrew mccutcheon himself announced yesterday on twitter that he has been cleared by major league baseball to escape uh covid protocols and sure enough in the clubhouse on monday night there's andrew mccutcheon so um we didn't get a chance to talk to him yet um they're gonna have to figure out how to get him back on his feet probably you know the guy's gonna have to take a bp at least and see where they're at uh, before he jumps back in. So TBD when he's activated, but but soon. And, and that's a big bat to get back. And I know we'll talk about Willie Adamas, who looks like a big bat who is, you know, they're going to be without. Um, so getting McCutcheon back is sometime soon is is a big deal. Well, my takeaway is having McCutcheon back, is there a way we can let him tweet during the games? I know. Please. If ever there was an example of, should let him like, let's change that rule. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> I, I was going to say the one bad thing about the only, and it's compared to what you get from getting him back, a, a very small, minute thing, but man, it was a joy <laughs> to watch him tweet through, uh, not just the Brewers games, but any game he was watching. Well, even at the end, the Narcos tweet where he was awaiting word from MLB about whether he could be back, and it's <laughs> uh, what's that? What's the actor's name who plays Pablo Escobar standing there in the empty pool and <laughs> waiting? And my favorite, my favorite was the. I told him this last night. The, my favorite was the the gif where the the young man is like <laughs> mopping his brow. It was when the Brewers had that they they got away with that win where Luis Urias in Cincinnati made the diving catch to uh, save a couple of Reds runs and the Brewers got away with a, a one run win. And McC- I don't know, McCutcheon nailed it, man. He was very, very entertaining. And he gave us like baseball insight. I had no idea that the outfield in Atlanta was like notoriously difficult. The way that the grass is, the ball snakes. And we saw it come into play in one of those games in Atlanta. 
I mean, it looks so pristine, the field itself, that I had absolutely no idea. But every guy to a man said that that is a, a thing there. So McCutcheon gave us some good baseball insight, too. So MLB, please, this is my plead. <laughs> let's have Andrew McCutcheon with a phone in the dugout. Well, I, maybe just someone take over. Yeah, let someone take over his account and he can just shout out the tweets, <laughs> you know, go into the dugout and they can they can tweet from the stands. It'd be great. I'm in. All right. That works. Tim's the designated tweeter. Adam alluded to it, but although we're talking about the exciting news of McCutcheon coming back, there's also a looming decision coming with Willie Adamas. You know, he comes in sliding into home in the first inning of the last game in Miami, pops out of home place and seems to tweak his or pops out of his slide at home plate and seems to tweak his ankle. Uh, ankle sprain is or it comes out later. And we still haven't quite heard from the team how serious it is. He's still not on the IL. But what do the Brewers do in the meantime, Tim, without Willie Adamas, whether that's a a short stint or a long stint? Because he is, as we saw last year, the spark plug for this team in the offense. So what do the Brewers do without kind of their morale leader? Well, I think they saw it right away how much it hurt him because as soon as he uh, didn't come back out, like he tried to come back out and play defense, did that for an inning. Then they've thought better of it. They took him out. They put in Brasso. They moved Luis Arias to shortstop. First pitch, first ball, whatever. If you enter a baseball game, <laughs> it, the ball will find you. I don't care if you're playing right field or catcher, first base. It doesn't matter. You step onto the field in the middle of a game, the ball's going to find you. And that's what happened with that Brasso. That is the weirdest thing about baseball. Yeah, you'll Kesson see it. here in left field, yep, right? Exactly. A couple years ago. So same thing. He gets a ball right at him. You know, he's he's nervous. He just entered the game, probably hadn't even thrown that much and throws the ball away. And that ended up, you know, mattering. And so that's the kind of stuff you can't account for all the time. But that's where it shows how important to have Willie Adamas out there is. He's he's the core. There's, you know, five or six guys that are played, you know, most all the games. Willie Adamas being one of those guys. So hopefully, you know, you say looming on what's coming. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know for him to go back out there and play half an inning on defense, you know, it, to me, I'm like, I don't know if it's that bad. I, I, I'm i going to hope for day to day and then reevaluate probably after the Brave series. Well, so this is maybe time for a little how the sausage is made. We, we record these podcasts and then Ezra Siegel and his uh, team of dozens of audio experts put this out as quickly as possible. <laughs> but sometimes you can't avoid news happening between recording and the thing going out. I predict by the time people are listening to this, that Willie Adamas is on the the injured list because it it just it didn't look good it didn't look good in the clubhouse last on Monday night, um, and you know again May seventeenth plays into it as well where it sometimes injuries can be different depending on what time of year it is and do you play through it or not and remember Willie Adamas played through leg stuff at the end of last year and it really hurt him going into the postseason the last couple of weeks of the regular season and going into the postseason so I think for all of those reasons. Um, it looks like it looks like an IL stint, and you just hope it's a, a minimum a minimum IL stint. So for position players now, it's ten days. For pitchers, it's fifteen days. That's how the IL rules shook out for twenty twenty two. So we'll know more hopefully by the time people are hearing this or soon thereafter. Go see Brewers dot com uh, of what David Stearns and Craig Council have to say about what the prognosis is because on Monday at least they were still kind of working through that. So, I mean, a big loss because he's there. He's been their spark plug. He's been their best. I mean, Yelich has done some really good things in terms of um, just striking the baseball. And then the results came on the road trip, which was great. But Willie Adamas has been their MVP again this year after being the MVP last year. Hey, bring up Bryce Terang. <laughs> yeah. The guy's been smoking well, at AAA. It's prospect time. Give Willie a week off. I I don't see that happening yet. No, Um no. But he certainly is right there, and Trang's numbers are great. The The on-base percentage is, to me, one of the first numbers I always look at when you just look at a guy's minor league numbers. The, the on-base has been solid for Bryce Terang. The defense you know is going to be solid. So eventually, maybe. But I think Luis Urias covers them. Jace Peterson um, has done a nice job recently. He can certainly play third. So I think it's more more likely that it's not Bryce. Trey yeah, no, time. I, I actually think if they make a move today, it'll probably be a one for one McCutcheon Adamas type situation where like they did with. Yeah. But again, I think McCutcheon will need, I think they want to take a little time. Like let's remember Andrew McCutcheon just spent what a week and a, 
a hotel or a car driving back right. and then was kind of but quarantined. I don't think he's had a lot of opportunity to get out on his feet. So I don't know. We're, we're, we're doing what we're not supposed to do, which is predict roster moves when by the but time this pod comes out. predicting roster moves is fun. <laughs> and less fun when people come back later and they see how wrong <sighs> specifically we're learning. We're learning I am. how to do this. So yeah. Adam's trying to bail me out, and I guess I'll take the hint and we'll go to break. But when we come back, we'll talk about another milestone for Josh Hader. We're going to give our stats of the week and Adam and Tim's favorite time of every episode. It's trivia, baby. But this time, I think they're going to enjoy it a little bit more because it's 90s trivia. Oh, stick around. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now we're back from outer space. And you just walked in to see us here talking about our Saturday's 90s themed post-game concert. You know, this Saturday, you get to see Vanilla Ice, which, Adam, how excited are you for the Vanilla Ice concert <laughs> this Saturday after the game? All right, stop. Collaborate? Collaborate. I am week. excited. The only thing I'm not excited about is, like, I still have to write a story then <laughs> that, that day. So, like, I we go when there's a concert. I forget who did one the last time they did this. Uh, I go back into the dining room where normally we sit and have a nice meal out of a box from Lorraine and James who work the uh, the counter there. So it's a lovely space, except it's not exactly soundproofed. So I will definitely be listening to Vanilla Ice while I'm also trying to listen to whoever pitches that day. I don't have the probables in front of me, and I'm not smart enough to count far that far ahead. So I will be multitasking while, you know, Getting down with OPP. So I will be, I don't know if that's collaborate and listen or how, what, what exactly that is, but I'll be, I'll be multitasking. I think the hardest thing is going to be for Tim in the post game, staying focused on his task. You can't, I mean, it must be in the studio that day, right? I don't know. Is Are you going to actually try to or do what? What, what? No, I don't even know what day it is. Oh, okay. Then yeah. It's the Washington doing. series. Okay. I can't wait. I saw Vanilla Ice in, uh, when I was in college, I didn't go to Mississippi state, but I was in Starkville, Mississippi and it was like. I don't know. I forgot some some bar and grill place, and it was just like, "Hey, Vanilla Ice." I was like, "What?" <laughs> I wasn't even there to see him, but he was there, and he tried some new stuff. He was trying his new stuff out on the crowd, and people were booing big time. Oh God! <laughs> they just want the ninja rap, and they want Ice yeah. Ice Baby. Come on, go Green Machine, go Green. Yeah, I, I was just like, "Whatever, man." It's Vanilla Ice. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's cool. Whatever. <laughs> All right. I saw DJ Jazzy Jeff once in San Francisco. That was pretty good as well. And I think he also like tried some new stuff. Um, I saw Afro Man once. Remember him? <laughs> you are pulling. That is a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were. I thought that was the contest right. we were doing. Well, we're we're dating the pod artists. heavily. So I'm going to dig. What a- was your first concert? What was your first concert? Brad for my first concert is one of the most embarrassing uh you know those cds you have in- i promise you i have you beat oh i'm sure Backstreet because Boys. everyone's first concert i feel like is embarrassing but it's one of those cds you had in middle school and the all right so cds used to be these discs that played music uh not records after records but so i had my cd holder and there's like three pages that i'm like i wish people would never see this and it was Hoobastank opening for Good Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, mine's worse. Tim's is probably cool. So I'm just going to say mine and leave Tim. Mine was Paula Abdul with Color Me Bad and MC Scat Cat. Dude, all right. Well, MC Scat Cat's a little embarrassing, but I would love to say I'd seen Paula Abdul. Paula Abdul in 19, probably, I think, 1989. Like she has such like cultural relevance outside of just being a performer now for being... Well, I won't get too far into it. I don't need any libel lawsuits. Yeah. Tim, what was your first concert? Uh, I was a kid. We went to go see Alabama. Remember Cheap Seats? It was a Cheap Seats tour. And I got to go backstage. And I got a guitar pick from from Randy Owen, the uh, lead singer. And then I lost it. So it's still still near and dear. (laughs) 
<laughs> I knew yours would be cool, though. I mean, that's a legit. Concert. Oh, I mean, you that's, know that's every better. single song like that. I grew up in the South. Like it was, it was Alabama. I mean, that's we listened to that all the time. So they were they were red hot. Had like fifty number one hits or whatever. And I mean, who didn't love cheap cheap seats? It was about baseball. It talked about the Marlboro Man. That's now not in the outfield. <laughs> but that's what I grew up. I grew up in the clubhouse around minor league ballparks. So I was like, this song's written for me. Except part about uh, having mustard and relish on the hot dogs. I, I'm not. I'm not mustard and relish guy. But rather than that, we're 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 threatening to further divert from Brad's attempt to do trivia. Oh here, yeah, so we should Sorry, stop that conversation we right now. Okay, save it for a future pod about hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we all love reliving the past, and that's why we're going to relive last week when Tim just pummeled Adam in the Star Wars round. <laughs> Now that not that's true. I have no defense. <laughs> that not the season series up at three. Oh so boy! So family feud style, feud style. You get it right, you get a point. Get it wrong, your opponent can steal. Adam, are you ready? Sure. Yes. What was the highest grossing film of the nineties? Jurassic Park, Titanic, Lion King, or Men in Black? Titanic. Yes. And I feel like, you know, this Ezra does such a good job coming up with these questions, but I feel like this is a byproduct of him not growing up in the 90s because he's like a little baby man um, and so young compared to the rest of us. Um, (laughs) But everyone knew Titanic was just the record setter, right? It was the Titanic and it grossed a billion. Have you seen have you seen the, the little meme or I don't know what you call it, but the video where they replace Rose with a cat? Yes, it's, it's fantastic. It, there's an entire channel that does uh, cat re- movie replacements. If you haven't seen that, just go look it up. Cat, cat Titanic and you'll enjoy it. Oh, I want to see it. <laughs> oh, you're going to watch. It's great. It's just a channel that has like 30 seconds. Their best one is the owl cat. It's called Owl Cat. And he replaces the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. And we're threatening to derail things again. Ezra's giving me a stare, both for making fun of his youth and taking things off the rails. Anyway, Jurassic Park was the third highest grossing film uh, because Titanic was the only one to break one billion dollars. And The Lion King was fifth. Men in Black was ninth. Phantom Menace, going back to last week, was second. Hmm, Interesting. All right, Tim. Who was the... Best-selling artist or band of the 1990s. Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, or Nirvana. That is tough. That's a tough one. I don't know. I'm going to go Mariah Carey. I feel like she had well. All Mariah Carey is incorrect. Adam. Oh, that would have that that 100 percent was going to be my guess. Well, now you get the advantage of knowing that it might be Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, or Nirvana. I mean, I, I guess I'm just based on worldwide appeal. I'm going to say Michael Jackson. Ooh, and you're both wrong. Ah. Ezra, you know, I, I insult him then I praise him because he has the most clever tie in here. Celine. It's Celine. Where yes, has 200 million album sales. Oh, yeah. We should have seen it. We should have sniffed that out. Dang. Let's just change this podcast to the Titanic podcast because that's where we're going. <laughs> My heart will go on from Titanic sold 18 million copies alone. Wow. Okay. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> she just slides over like three inches. My goodness. Look, Peter said, or not Peter, who Cameron James. James said she couldn't, so... Oh, please. What does he know about buoyancy? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Pop culture time is done. And guess what? We're going to talk about Josh Hader some more. Ooh, yeah, okay. Because he just recorded his 500th career strikeout. He's a perfect 14 for 14 in save opportunities. He hasn't given up a run. He's throwing 99 mile per hour gas. Tim, is this a historic year for an already, like, historically good player? I mean, he already break, broke a record. Lee Smith's a Hall of Famer, and you know he broke the consistent or the consecutive games, fourteen games in a row. It was twelve, broke it with thirteen. Now at fourteen, um, yeah, he's on pace to to be an All Star. He's on pace to be Reliever of the Year. Um, Sustainability is always a tough thing to do, especially in the bullpen. Uh, but this guy finds a way. It's not his first road rodeo, so he, he you know he has a plan in place. They use him correctly and. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter who's in the box. If he has his game, 
uh, whoever's in the box is kind of irrelevant. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's on pace to break a lot of records. I have stats. All right. I'm very proud of myself when I have stats. Okay. Mike Vassallo, Brewers PR guru, last night, he had the, the hater numbers for this season. 14 games, 14 saves, no runs. Opponents, two for 43 with 21 strikeouts. Two for 43 with 21 strikeouts this season. That's very good. Um, here we go. Most consecutive scoreless appearances in ALNL history. Ryan Presley has that record, actually, the Astros reliever. 40 straight scoreless appearances from 2018 to 19. Then Craig Kimbrell, 38. Adam Ottavino, 37. Mike Myers, the former Brewers reliever, which is awesome. 1999 to 2000, 37 consecutive scoreless appearances. And randomly, Mike Myers was at American Family Field yesterday chatting with counsel during BP. He works for the Players Association now, as far as I know. So he is a uh, he was there to watch Hater's outing. And then uh, Josh Hader and J.C. Romero at 35. And Hader's is obviously an active streak. So 40 is the number if Hader keeps it going. That's the most consecutive scoreless appearances in ALNL history. And then one more, and I'll stop spewing numbers. But over the... <laughs> The numbers are just so crazy. Over the 35 straight scoreless games, he has 33 and two-thirds innings pitched, 58 strikeouts, um, nine hits. So that's an 082 opponent's average. It's just, it's it's kind of silly stuff. And that goes back to his, his last, the last time he allowed a run was his final outing of July. So starting last August, um, he hasn't allowed a run. There is another reliever. Who, ha- who also has not allowed a run starting last August. Can either of you name him? All across baseball? All across baseball. Give us a hint. He is a Seattle Mariner. I'll give you that hint. Ooh. Now, he hasn't pitched this year. Is he hurt? This was all last year. It's Casey Sadler. Uh, I mean, yeah. the American League is a great mystery to me, so I don't know if you guys would be. But, yeah, Casey Sadler also has not allowed. But but it, the reason I bring him up, even though he hasn't pitched in 22, it's 27 appearances last season, so. A fair number of games as well. The hard thing for me about a question about a guy who was on the Seattle Mariners last year is once the season ends, I just assume the entire Seattle Mariners roster is over and Topoto has traded everybody. So <laughs> going into the, the next season, I'm like, they're all gone. It, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I can't remember any of their names except for former Brewer great Mitch Hanniger. But back to Josh Hader. Now, he has won of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight ever Trevor Hoffman NL reliever of the year awards. He has won three of them. He's well on pace for his fourth. With all due respect to Trevor Hoffman, if he wins his fourth, do they just rename the <laughs> award after him now? Is that that seems like something. If you win the award more than everybody else in the beginning, you just get it, right? Well Hoffman's in the Hall of Fame, so so hold your horses there, I would say. Uh, just put him in. Put him in. <laughs> Put first guy in in the middle of his career. Put him in. Uh, no, but I think when you look at Hater, you do see it's very, very, very hard to be a Hall of Fame reliever in this league. It's they're weighted differently. They, you know, you really have to achieve historic milestones to reach that level. You look in it, uh, you know, Rivera and Hoffman got in easily, but aside from that, it do, it does take quite a bit of effort. And sometimes a couple of years, but I think Hader is the highest compliment you can throw on him right now is he's on a Hall of Fame track record, an easy first ballot Hall of Fame track record, which for how rare that is as a reliever is saying something because he is a, a type of good we haven't seen at reliever probably since those two guys. I mean, Craig Kimbrell, early Craig Kimbrell was that good. But Kimbrell comes to my mind as the as the as a guy uh, and haters going to have to do it for just a lot longer in order to be in the conversation. And, you know, the durability is the hardest part of that that position. And that's where he has excelled, I would say, in the last couple of years since getting into the ninth inning role. It's just being durable to go three out of four, four out of five. That's what you have to do to be a, a Hall of Fame reliever. And he seems to be very honest about his body too, right? I mean, he has these back spasms that kept him out for a couple of days, and that's because he's communicated with his staff and letting them know what's actually wrong, not trying to pitch through too much to make sure he's healthy for the long run. 
Yeah. I mean, he's learned how to take care of his body. That's been the biggest transition for him. And it, and Hoffman, Tim knows way more about this, but like the things he taught the guys who were there with him then got passed on to the next guys, to the next guys. I still think Trevor Hoffman's influence is like an underrated part of what's going on here. That camp Hoffman stuff that they did when he was a member of the Brewers was so impactful for so many of those relievers. And I think we're still seeing some of the influence of that. hundred percent. You look around the, uh, the stadium, there's, there's artwork of him around uh, pictures of him around. Um, he came in with all the knowledge and experience that anybody could have in this game and shared some of his secrets, you know, and that's, that's hard to do. You know, there's especially guys when they're still doing well, last thing you want to do is kind of share your secrets. Um, but he was willing to do that. Uh, a lot of it, not just taking care of yourself, your body, but taking care of your mind as well. Uh, he actually came over and talked to us minor leaguers, even though we were already teammates. I was back in the minor leagues. <laughs> and he came over and was talking in spring training one time. And he was just talking about, if you ever see me in the bullpen before I go out there and I'm doing some of this stuff, um, this is why I'm doing that. You know, this it's more of a mental thing. If you see me on the mound and I step off and I look down at the ground, you know, I'm looking at a I'm looking at a pebble on the ground, but I'm not just looking at that pebble. I'm looking at a speck on the pebble because it makes me concentrate on something else other than what's going on. So I can kind of blink, you know, things aren't going your way. You got to hit the reset button for him. That was the reset button. So like these little tips, you know, everybody, he always encouraged guys, have your own little things, have your stuff, know what to do when you're in those tough situations. And I mean, I'd been around at that time, probably, you know, seven, six, seven, eight seasons. And I, I, he was telling me stuff I'd never even heard of or dreamt of before. So, yeah, his legacy is, is you know, everywhere in that clubhouse. Did you ever go for a run with him out in the parking lots? Um, maybe once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's pretty elite. Um, he would eat all the donuts, you know, take a bite out of all the donuts he would bring to the clubhouse. Um, actually, I got called back up. We went to San Diego in like 2011, I think. And um, anyway, I was in the training room, like looking for a Band-Aid or something, whatever. And this dude came up and grabbed me. And I didn't know who it was. And I turned around and it was Trevor Hoffman. Hadn't seen him in a while. So I was like, that's pretty impressive uh, that he would come over. He was like, congratulations. Yeah, he got back to the show and was like, throw me in the air and stuff. I, he's he's an elite human. Well, going back to our elite human, because we could talk about Hoffman for forever just because his career is so fascinating. Who Hoffman on the pod. Yeah, there you go. I think I know a guy who knows well, This him. is all I think about now is who we can get to come <laughs> on the pod. Anyway, I'm trampling on you. Sorry, you're trying to do, bring someone on the pod, and I'm trampling. Yep. Adam <laughs> just doesn't want us to play his great audio that he got back in spring training with Josh about his interests off the field. Let's give a listen. What is your favorite thing to do on an off day in Milwaukee? Go fishing, get some breakfast, and hang out. Have you fished with Euchre, and what is that experience? I have. I uh, actually had the experience with him at a pond, and it was probably one of my favorite fishing moments. He ended up catching two huge bluegills, and uh, just the stories and hanging out with him was a lot of fun. I thought he usually fishes on Lake Michigan. I'm surprised to hear that you guys were at a pond. Yeah, he took us to a secret spot, so no one knows about it. Oh, different topic. What do you do for the first seven innings of a game? Well, the first three, I do activation stuff, watch a little bit of the game, and then right around the fifth, sixth inning, I start stretching and getting ready for the ninth inning. Uh, what does activation involve? Like getting the body ready? Yeah, it's just like movements to, to get the muscles engaging, making sure everything's working the right way. Uh, what was your first position as a kid playing baseball? Catcher. And why'd you give it up? I didn't give it up. They, they, they made me give it up. They said no lefties catching. So I uh, pitched and I, and I caught. And obviously the catching, they wouldn't let me do it. So stuck with the, the pitching. We've been rooting for a lefty catcher, I think, since Logan Schaefer was a backup outfielder for the Brewers, which is a long time ago. Do you root to see a lefty catcher? 100%. Uh, obviously, they say it's not possible, but... I think we could make one lefty. I mean, he might get stolen third base a lot, but hey. Well, how often does that him, really happen? Well, just don't let him get to second, then you won't have to worry about it. Uh, one more. Who, who's your best friend in baseball? 
I have a lot of a lot of best friends, but I'd say uh, on this team for sure, Corbin. And what what about you guys? Click? Do you think? No, we just we just always have the same interests, uh, and just always you like to chill. I think that's the number one thing. We like big chilling. Well, I I thought I found Hater right there to be very interesting. Uh, bluegills. Don't even know what a bluegill is. <laughs> Thought that was good. But you should have asked him about his website. He has a website, joshhater.com, I think. I've visited. Well, Tim, I'm so glad you asked that in such an impromptu way that we hadn't talked about beforehand because I also regretted not asking him about it only because he showed up every day in spring training with this great Yeti with this. He has like a Josh Hader. logo. Players have it. their own logo, right? Yeah. So we did another segment with Josh Hader in which I righted this wrong and here it is. Josh, what are your interests off the field? What do you have going on off the field that people might not know about? A lot of things. I'd say number one, probably photography. I like to do that. I like to get into the videography as well. Um, also have my own brand starting that up. You know, I like to uh, get get the lifestyle out there instead of just the baseball. So you can always check out kind of my lifestyle on joshhader.com. Josh, you have your own logo, I've noticed, on your Yeti that you bring into the field every day. Did you personally design the logo? Yeah, I had some help uh, getting it together on on the computer, but for the most part, I came up with the idea and uh, made it happen. Branding is very important in this sport now. Um, what are, Do you see this as a future, a post-baseball endeavor? Yeah, I think just... It's a big part of baseball that a lot of people don't, you know, go down that avenue. I think um, showing what we do off the field, kind of get that lifestyle and uh, show more of what we like to do besides play baseball. And I'm sure everyone listening right now has their credit card already in their hand. If they're interested in looking at more, where where should they go? Uh, you can go check out the website at joshhater.com, joshuahater.com. Either way, we'll put you in the right direction. Just go check out the website. You get to learn some information that you may not know about me. Uh, you can also go to the store and get some cool merch. So it's a, it's a fun time. But wait, why is there Josh and Joshua? Well, my real name's Joshua, but some people don't know that. So they call me Josh. So just in case anybody gets confused, there's no, there's no outsourced link. Do you want us to call you Joshua? Would you rather go by Joshua in print? Typically, that means I'm in trouble, so whatever you want to do. <laughs> well, there you have it. Adam McAlvey doing the appropriate groundwork, doing his job. <laughs> well, players love to uh, promote their own brand, right, Tim Dillard? <laughs> That's right. You get my care package full of stickers and pins. <laughs> so, Hater, I have to give him credit. He's, one, he's pretty great at bringing his life from the field to the fans. His TikTok's amazing. His presence is amazing. His website has great information. You know, he's a guy who kind of gets making what he does into something else that other people can enjoy. All right, we need to take another quick break. But when we come back, we're going to dish out some hot takes about a cold treat. And we're going to get the guy's stat of the week. We'll be back in a second. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And we're back. One day I'm going to get the rapid rounds drop that I've been looking for. Something like rapid round. But unfortunately, this isn't a 90s morning drive time talk show. And no one has given me that audio yet. So I guess in the meantime, we're just going to have to go into the regular rapid round. Y'all should know how it works because we do it every week. I give the guys a prompt. They give us a quick response. It's going to be about the team. It's going to be about their personal preferences. And we're going to start off with Tim. Tim, give us your stat of the week. My stat of the week, uh, I'm going to do Luis Urias. In his first 12 games back, he has reached base safely in all of those games since coming back from that left quad injury. 
he's batted 302, two home runs, nine runs scored, six RBIs, and here's a big one, seven walks. This guy misses a month, comes back, and he's willing to take walks. Uh, he's been great. Adam, how about you? Okay, mine comes from Hector Gomez, one of my favorite Dominican journalists. You can follow him, H Gomez 27 He's even got Carlos Gomez's number in his Twitter handle. But it's, it's not just from this week, but it came up this week. Freddy Peralta got to 500 career strikeouts in 372 innings, as was noted by uh, the great, again, Mike Vassallo on Monday night. Every Dominican pitcher gets compared to Pedro, right? I mean, he is like the gold standard of, of pitchers from the Dominican Republic. How many innings do you think it took Pedro Martinez to get to 500 strikeouts? Tim Dillard. I saw your tweet earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like 510 innings. Yeah. 510 innings. So, look, Freddie, he's bounced starting in relief. I think Pedro's career arc was different. It's not apples to apples. But still, it just shows you, man, this guy is on a quite a trajectory as a young pitcher, plenty of road ahead in his major league career. That was a that that stat definitely stood out to me this week. For me, it's harkening back to a guy I told the fans not to worry about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the offense. And it's Colton Wong. Because since May 1st, he's hitting 310 with a 1010 1010 OPS, three home runs, and five stolen bases. So that guy has been an offensive machine this month, uh, really coming along to lead the offense and get that thing going. Tim, uh, yes, I see you have your hand raised. I had my hand raised, sorry. Uh, Yeah, I just want to piggyback off of that. He has eight stolen bases already this year. He only had 12 last year. He is on pace to have 37 stolen bases this year. Will he get 37? Probably not, but he's on pace for it. So that's a pretty big... That was my backup (laughs) stat, so I'm glad you brought him up. (laughs) You know, great minds think alike. His career high is 24, so he's on pace to break that pretty quickly. He leads the league right now with eight stolen bases. We should get Scott Pasednik on the pod. <laughs> All right. This, these are notes you make in your notebook and you names, bring up Ryan. after the pod, Adam. <laughs> this is why you bring a piece of paper. <laughs> All right. It's beginning to feel a lot like summer. Adam, what's your go-to ice cream? Um, well, I'll hedge because my favorite like at-home ice cream is uh, toasted almond fudge. It's fantastic. Um, but I would say my favorite ice cream is the, uh, the coconut chip, like Cedar Crest has like a coconut almond. I think it's coconut chocolate almond. And it's my go-to like walking out of Summerfest to walk home. I usually stop and get that ice cream and then walk home with the ice cream. I'm going to give that a go because I'm up for trying any ice cream. Tim, what's your go-to ice cream? Well, it's not coconut. I'll tell you that. Uh, (laughs) Probably anything at the field that's in like a mini helmet. I'm a big mini helmet ice cream guy, um, but I haven't had that that much. I would actually I, I eat custard more mm. more so than ice cream. I don't know if that. I think we're lumping uh, any iced treat, <laughs> ice thing yeah. together. Yeah. Well, I'm going custard. I have the uh, cops app. You can kind of just check and see what they're doing that day. Uh, that's a that's that's a big deal. All right. <laughs> so we'll have Mike Cop into the podcast as well and my answer is boring wait wait do you not know who who owns cops no but did you just make up mike cop it's it's a bit to just give like a very common first name and then company's last name too this is what the kids do adam oh bradley bradley carl cop is the founder of cops and he's a he's a fine gentleman who you will often find at elsa's if you go in there for lunch or like an early dinner, okay, he's often in there dining. So you can, I mean, he's a a local legend. So let's. Is he wearing let's, a name tag? If I go in there, am I going to be able to be like, you, oh, that's believe Carl. me? If you go into Elsa's <laughs> and Carl Cop is sitting there, you will recognize Carl Cop. He looks like the owner of Elsa's and Cops. <laughs> what does that, what does that just, mean? I mean, it, it's true. Anyone who who's seen him knows. Well, well, mine is chocolate chip cookie dough. I'm a big fan of chocolate chip cookie dough. So that that's mine. Uh, Can't argue with that. Yeah. Uh, not from a particular location. I prefer it made with col- uh, custard because it gets creamier and, you know, a little bit tastier. And, you know, food's more enjoyable when you can feel the time ticking off your heart. Tim, it's Adamus bobblehead day coming up this weekend. Ooh. Great bobblehead. Everyone should try to get it because uh, we all love the claws up willy stance. So you should come down, try to get that. But what is the best bobblehead you can remember, Tim? 
Best bobblehead. Uh, I love the Harry Doyle uh, bobblehead. It's sitting at the desk. He's got the microphone. You hit the button and it starts doing uh, all the quotes, Bob Buecher's quotes from Major League. Uh, honorable mention, though, I actually do have two of my own bobbleheads from the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum here in beautiful Milwaukee. Uh, I have a lightsaber in one of them, so that's elite. Uh, but I would say the runner-up is going to be Salvador Perez. I Since I played so long in the minor leagues, I'd travel around and all the clubbies would give me bobbleheads from that season, whatever team. And in Omaha, I got one where he's holding like the Gatorade jug water cooler, like dumping it on somebody. And I just found that really cool. Like of all the bobbleheads, he bats, balls, gloves, the wall, a desk. This dude's got a water cooler. Thought that was cool. Well, mine, I, I would say the, the Brewers did one where Paul Molitor is diving headfirst into home plate. That's He was my favorite player growing up. So that is a close second to what I think is probably one of the most well-known bobbleheads in Brewers history, which is the Derek Turnbow <laughs> with the real hair. Air quotes around real, but like <laughs> doll hair, for lack of a better no, term. No, that was his hair. He um, shaved for months like for 50, that. 50,000 bobbleheads, and he's yeah. cutting his hair. <laughs> like, oh, that's gross. That is Super so gross. Glue. Uh, it did not... Sadly, it was it was uh, it did not go great for Derek Turnbow in his Brewers career after that bobblehead. It was not it, it was not a harbinger of success, but it was a very memorable bobblehead. And I have one in the basement. Yeah, I have a lot of Brewers bobbleheads from over the year. I have the pink hat Bill Hall. I have real hair Derek Turnbow, removable mask Darian Miller or Damien Miller. Darian Miller's the prospect. Uh, so there's a lot I can look back at over the years, and I, this feels lame, but I got one of the gold Lorenzo Canes from last year, and I think that's just a real sharp-looking bobblehead. Like, How'd you score one of those? Huh? Yeah. Uh, you know the right people. Sounds like it. Sounds like I don't know the right people. <laughs> I didn't get one. No. <laughs> I had to fight tooth and nail to get this. So that is one that I think is up there, and I... I wish it wasn't like a Homer answer because I have gotten some non brewers bobbleheads, but Jeff Harding is really good at making bobbleheads. You like what you like. Yep. So that's a shout out to our uh, designer who is responsible for uh, putting some of those designs together. Cause man's a genius. Adam, you know, we know you just took off for the Miami series, but you're getting another off day this Thursday. What are you going to do? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I have not gone hiking yet. This, uh, now that the weather's nice, one of my favorite things to do is hit one of our state parks. Lapham peak is a favorite. You will find me very often at Lapham peak state park or up in the Greenbush area, the Northern kettle moraine. Those are two fantastic spots. You get a book on tape and, uh, you go for a long walk and then maybe get a beverage afterwards. All right, Tim, how about yourself? <laughs> I'm not going hiking. <laughs> I know. What a lame, I'm sorry. It is such a lame answer, but it's true. Hey, I'll meet you at Broken Bad afterwards. I actually won't be. Well, if you go early enough, I, I might go. But no, I'm driving to Appleton, Wisconsin. I'm going to go catch a Timber Rattlers game. They're going to let me shoot the, uh, the the wiener cannon, shoot all the hot dogs in the stands. So, oh, my God, please come and see that. Tim has <laughs> you have been the like Wisconsin sports like national mascot. You're you're at Bucks games. You're at Admirals games. You're at T Rats games. You're <laughs> like, when are you going down yeah, to the uh, Beloit to play for the her to shoot off a cannon for the A's minor league team? <laughs> never know, never know. But no, I got invited. They're not the Snappers anymore, right? Are they the Snappers? They should be. Oof. I think they got a new stadium and changed their name. Oh. I'm going to quick change the subject because I don't know the answer to that. And we probably shouldn't know the teams in the state. <laughs> Council's oldest son is playing in Kenosha this summer with one of the summer league teams. Tim, you could hit the that. Kenosha Kingfish. I sure. went to a Madison Mallards game last year and got a hot dog bobble. Oh, I should have said that from one of my favorite bobbles. The snappers are the sky carp now. Sky. That's quite a change. Yeah. So uh, new ownership, new stadium, new name. Well, did you know that the back in the day they used to have a new era poster of hats? from all over the minor leagues that they would give away at times. And it would have like whoever had the best hat that season and the Bloit snappers, like little turtle logo that right there was one, like six years in a row. Huh. It was like the best hat in minor league baseball. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, little turtle in good news. We still have a minor league baseball team in the T rats up North, not really that up North, but 
you know, anything north of Milwaukee is up north. So, hey, I would go check them out because they got some good players. Freelick graduated and went up to double A, but there's still some good prospects there. Some enjoyable names. Uh, Tyler Black, last year's competitive balance round pick, is having one heck of a season there. So uh, you can see some good baseball there, but you can also see amazing baseball at our stadium. And you can stop by, say hi, say hi to your host of Brewers Unfiltered. We're at the ballpark on a pretty regular basis, maybe a little busy during games, but that's all we have for today. Don't forget to follow our host, Tim Dillard, at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram, Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Of course, make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And we will see you next week.